Passionate DJ Podcast, where it's all about becoming a better DJ through passion and purpose. And now, your host, David Michael. What's up, everybody? This is the Passionate DJ Podcast, and I'm going to introduce our team tonight. We've got our director of community engagement and guy who somehow manages to play DJ, photographer, video streamer, social media manager, podcast host, and exercise coach simultaneously, Modingo. I am half Jamaican. We can- <laughs> You're half Jamaican, be crazy. <laughs> oh! oh. We've got our director of outreach and guy who's worked more stages than a professional Pac-Man player, Mr. Tony DeSero. What up? And our audio engineer and dance music lawyer specializing in rave litigation, Mr. Trip Turlington. Yeah! And I'm your host and official winner of the oldest millennial DJ award, <laughs> David Michael. <laughs> Welcome, guys. We're going to talk about recording mixes today. Um, but before we jump into that, I want to make a quick announcement, or I guess a reminder, just in case you guys haven't noticed, we are quickly coming up on episode 100. Yeah. Yeah. That's we a, drop bombs like Hiroshima. Yeah. <laughs> That's a we big can make milestone. them clap to this. <laughs> big milestone. So yeah. we've got a lot, of, uh, a lot of ideas and a lot of things in store for that show, so we're not going to say much about it other than it's coming. Be ready. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is, I wanted to respond to a tweet really quick, which was from at OG10Speed. He said he was looking at uh, bringing some CDJ1000s to the club, and this place has heavy vibrations, so he wanted to know how we handle bass. Um, and Tony had a really cool suggestion on this one. Yeah, on the CDJ1000s, I mean, I, I don't think they're much different um, than the 2000s or the Nexuses or anything like that, but um, when we're on the big stages, we have L Acoustic. Um, for monitors, there are double 18 boxes on each side. Um, there's a lot of vibration on those stages, but what we do is we take a $15, $20 yoga mat that we get at Meyer <laughs> mm, and yeah, we yeah. roll it, we roll oh, it all the way that's out. Super yeah. nice. That's, yeah. that's, it's intelligent. Yeah. And they're, yeah, they're pretty yeah. thin. We roll it all the way out, gaff tape the whole edge of it. Um, and just set the CDJs on top of it. And I mean, you have all those, you know, all those DJs that get up there and jump up and down on those DJ risers too. Yeah. So you have that, you have them jumping everywhere. You have that bass. It's just a lot of bass, a lot of vibration and those, they don't skip. Yeah. I have seen the yoga mat thing before. Uh, I've actually seen it with people trying to, uh, dampen, uh, vibration for turntables because, Mm -hmm. you know, they make, tons of like things for uh techniques you know they've got those like blow up pillows and like you know the mm-hmm. the like acoustic foam stuff like the, mm-hmm. so there's a bunch of different products out there but i've actually seen somebody take like two or three yoga mats mm-hmm. you know and, and and tape those together for uh turntables before mm-hmm. yeah for sure yeah. $15 solution to a million dollar problem <laughs> right. that's pretty yeah. that's pretty intelligent he also wants to know if they work with Serato DJ. I will say they work with Serato DJ as well as any other set of CDJs will if you're talking about timecode. So if you're using it in the traditional Serato sense that you would, you know, a, a pair of turntables and a, a rain mixer. Sure. Um, so if... I don't <clears throat> think those do HID, do they? No. Yeah. No, right. no HID, no... I, I don't know if they have any MIDI capability or not. I don't right. think they do. Right. Do they um, not have USBs on the back? No, they I have... Know. I think they have SD yeah. cards so that you can store, like, cue points and stuff, mm-hmm. but you can't play music off of them. Oh, okay, got you. So, you know, they're, they're a little old school now, so... Right. 
you can use them in the timecode sense. So if you're plugging into a Serato compatible piece of hardware, the answer is yes, as long as you can do that that timecode thing. If you're not sure, I would definitely talk to whoever's providing that piece of gear to make sure. Right. But uh, so no, you can't just hook it up and use it like a controller, but you can use it with timecode. And he also says, I've been strictly techniques for a number of years, so what other differences should I be aware of? Going to CDJs? Uh, yeah. Um, for I, me, it was um, because I was strictly techniques, you know, as well for for several years. And just the, the biggest thing for me was just a learning where everything is on a CDJ. Mm. You know, uh, with turntables and stuff like that through Serato, you know, as long as you've got your laptop there, you can hit, you know, your your hotkeys on the keyboard for everything for your cue points and your loops and all of that stuff. Yeah. So, you know, you've got all that functionality right there in the keyboard. Yeah. But the CDJs, or at least the 2000s and Nexus do, um, you know, all of, you know, they've got their own dedicated hot cue buttons. Some of them have needle drop and, you know, some of them, you know, and all of that stuff and just kind of getting familiar with that layout because I don't have a set of them. So it took me a few times of playing on the same set of 2000s mm. <laughs> a few times be like oh oh yeah okay so this is where everything is uh, the other thing i would point out is when you're beat matching or more specifically when you're when you're aligning your phrasing and stuff so when you're when you're getting the the beats lined up it's a little different than when you're on turntables and you're either twisting the spindle or dragging mm -hmm. your finger on it or something like that to use a jog wheel. Right. It's actually, in my opinion, worlds easier to beat match on a set of CDJs. Oh, yeah. Because um, when you're making, if you're making a physical adjustment to, you know, in that way where you're touching the record. You can hear it. You, yeah. You can hear it, but also you can, you have to take your hand off of the record because it's, physically rotating whereas on a cdj you, you can grab the ring push, twist yeah. it forward a little bit and if it goes off you're like oh whoops and you go backwards a little bit and right. then it's it's fixed like that right you can't really do that with a record if you touch it and drag it like that you're gonna yeah that was you know. one challenge i had when i first got back into it is learning how to push and drag mm -hmm. differently on the uh on a controller versus a record because like on a if you're trying to like you said if you push too hard or you press down too hard on a record, you get the roll. Yeah, you, know, yep. you get yep. it, it, it. It'll actually stop. And Versus then the CDJ, it, it'll just keep going. Yeah. If you make it go further off, then it's like ah, then you have to make a more extreme correction on yeah. the table, and then you hear that too. And yeah, right, right. yeah. So you got to be careful with that. But yeah, that's um, a good point. So yeah, in a lot of ways, it's it's easier that. And if you if you beat match by uh, wiggling the fader up and down, you know what I mean, mm, until you yeah. find it. Yeah, uh, that's easier on CDJs too, because then you can you can grab the the jog wheel and nudge it forward while you're touching the pitch fader and it's not going to mess you up, you know, and you can keep on doing that where it, it, it with tables, it's like kind of doing one or the other oh, right, at a time. Right. right. But, so cool. Uh, the other thing I wanted to do real quick was play a voicemail from John Chap. Uh, <coughs> excuse me, from Ron Chorpel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so I'm like a DJ, and uh, I was playing the other night, and and this guy came up and he said, "Hey man, your tracks are real dirty," and I was like, "Okay." So I was thinking about it. So I like took my laptop in the shower to like clean it off, and now like I can't get I can't get my music to working. Can you give me some advice? 
You just drop drop your laptop in a box of rice, <laughs> <laughs> or play deep house. Yeah, uh, putting in the microwave works too. I heard. Oh, put in the microwave. Yeah. I didn't think of that. Yeah, yeah. that'll be. Uh, it also you... recharge your battery while it gets it. Ooh, wireless yeah. charging. Yes. I like yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. That's some good tech. <laughs> Disclaimer, a, disclaimer, disclaimer. On a totally unrelated note, you can listen to our interview with John Chapel in episode nine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Who did not leave that last voice message? Yeah. Hi, John. Hi, I mean, right. Ron. Come back so, to the I show. Mean Ron. <laughs> so recording mixes. Um, I guess I want to start with why. What's the point? Why do we why do we want to record? It's an excellent question. So I think the first place my head goes is for purposes of like self critique, you know, just reviewing your own work and like, what do I really sound like when I'm just listening and not doing it? Wow. That's a, that's an interesting place to start. Um, Cause the first place my head goes to is you know, what I think is the, the most obvious why to do it for promo, right? For promo, yeah. demo Because, purposes. you know, like the big bullet point that's in my head is, you know, why do any of us do it anymore? Because it's an obligatory part. There's so many mixes out there. It's what you do. It's what yeah, you, you do. do yeah. And just because you make a mix doesn't mean anybody's actually going to listen to it. You know, all it does is just validate. Yeah, I'm a DJ. I made a mix. You know, yeah. nobody w- has to listen to it anymore. You know, so that that's a really interesting place to start for sure. Yeah. Well, the uh, as far as the demo, you know, people... It's not a bad idea to have sort of a resume or a portfolio of your of your work, you know. So sure. if you've got that to give in case somebody asks, you right. know, even if we feel like people don't really listen to our mixes anymore. Right. Do people even have the attention span anymore to listen to a full mix? Well, I don't know. I guess I'll, I'll ask you <laughs> yeah. as a promoter. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was going to ask you that question, <laughs> yeah. too. Like, do you, what do is you that think? something I, you ask for? I, uh, I do like to receive mixes and and you know do some research on the people that are asking me um hey i want to play i want to play your show you know it, well send me some links they send me links to their sound clouds or their mix clouds and things like that and i'll listen to most of them but i won't listen to them all the way through yeah you know, because i have so many that i do listen to um if one really catches me, though, you know, yeah, I'll listen to it all the way through. Yeah. You know, um, but for the most part, I'll, I'll listen, I'll skip through, I'll try and find my way to the actual mix. Yeah. And see how the mix is, but... Well, um, you're also in a position where you work with a lot of... You get to watch what DJs are doing over time mm-hmm. quite a bit, like even regionally and mm-hmm. sometimes beyond. As they gain uh, more... Um, they, they gain traction. You Tra- can see their yeah, skill level. Yeah, yeah. They're more uh, publicly. When they're given other opportunities, you know, to perform mm-hmm. on bigger stages, you can kind of see the evolution. Yeah, the, the evolution. Yeah. So how much would you say in terms of assessing talent would you do from someone giving you uh, a mix versus you going out and observing people? That and it's I, I do more uh, observing and I can, you know, best example and I give this example all the time, is Zach Hill, Tangled Branches. Mm. Um, David had him at a show, and Zach was playing, and I was highly impressed with his music, his mixing, you know, just everything about him. And, you know, I had went up to David and 
told him, I was like, you know, I'd like to put this guy on one of our shows and did it a couple of times with John Chapel as well. Some of the guys that were playing the EDM Tuesdays, you know, mm-hmm. I don't make it out to too many of them because when I'm not throwing a show or, you know, I'd, I'd like to stay home and just hang out. But uh, when I do get out and I see some people, you know, that I enjoy their set, I enjoy just watching them because you, I mean, anymore, you just never know. Somebody can pop a mix in Ableton, you know, put, put their tracks in Ableton yeah, or, yeah. you know, some type of software. Or somebody else could have mixed it for them for all we know. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so it's seeing them live and, and is uh, to me a lot better than just somebody throwing a mix at me. Because yeah, I had mentioned that before, like, and I think when we were talking about booking people, mm-hmm. see them, you know, just because they send you a dope mixtape, mm-hmm. need to see them live because they could have remastered that entire mix mm-hmm. and made it seamless. Mm-hmm. Whereas you want to see them, even if it's in a small room, you know, under the quote pressure of a live audience versus being in their basement. Mm-hmm. And you also see a lot of traction. Like when you, when I look at Facebook or, um, you know, social media and I see, um, guys playing in Columbus or Cincinnati with guys that I already know. Mm-hmm. I know that those guys that book them or that have them playing are not just going to book some slouch anyway, you know. So mm-hmm. I kind of look to other promoters because um, they've know, already their been words and their yeah. trust. Yeah. yeah, you know. So that's another way that I I look into people as well. But when I when they do throw me mixes, I'll listen to some of them, but. I'll just skip through them to the. I mean, it's part. it's physically impossible to listen to them all. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. There's I, not enough I, hours in the day. I wish that I could listen to to every mix that our listeners send in and want us yeah. to listen to. Mm-hmm. I would love to do. I love giving feedback and stuff. But if we, you know, it's just if you take one hour and a couple people want it, that's a whole day. Yeah. And I'm sure you know promoters. I have to run into that same kind of thing, especially when a big show's announcement has just happened, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden all the messages start coming in. Hey, for the next show, consider me. Here's my mix. Yeah. Hey, for the some, next show, consider me. We have me. some mixes in uh in our inbox our three-dimensional inbox and uh billy you know throws them at me he'll listen to some and he'll you know hey this one's pretty good you know check, you should check this one out and okay. start to listen to it so you know luckily i have his ear as well as mine and mm. you know we both kind of collectively decide you know because there's some that he'll listen to that you know i'll, I'll be like oh okay you know, it's completely different music than I would listen to. You know, it's yeah. still good. And, well, that's good that you have yeah. those dual perspectives on it. Absolutely. You know, it's, that helps. Not only you have more than one person to listen and evaluate and skim around and try to find things for that research purpose, but also, like, you have some musical tastes that overlap and then some that, you know, go elsewhere. And so you can get broader perspective on that. Right. So you're not only bringing in artists that Tony wants to bring in. Right. You have that broader spectrum and that you know, that wider ear mm-hmm. between the two of you. I try not to bring in, if I, if I brought in artists that I just wanted to bring in, <laughs> I don't think we'd probably be bankrupt by now <laughs> in this market anyway. <laughs> so in terms of like, do people give you CDs or do they just send you links um, or, you know, the, the only person that's really given me CDs in a really long time is, I mean, obviously you guys know too, is Tom, Tom Reed, Reed. Yeah. you know, um, he's really good about coming to a show with a box full of CDs oh, and yeah. say, Hey, I'm Tom, check this out. You know, and he's got a little promo stand at therapy. That's like three, three different tiers with three different CDs in it. You yeah. Know, yeah. Like yeah when, you, when you walk in to pay your cover, yeah, they're mm-hmm. sitting right there. The, the other cool thing about like, this is one of the last valid use cases for CDs, I think, because when you're at a show and you give somebody a CD, it's small enough. They can hold on to it, mm-hmm. but they can play it in their car on the way home. Yeah. Uh immediately yeah like that which is the most likely time they're going to do it right very um, true 
and if if it's something that somebody's put a lot of branding and effort and made it pretty and stuff, then some people like that little collectible aspect. Well, and he, he does do a good job because he actually prints a cover on the CD, mm-hmm. and then there's an insert yeah. in the little envelope that yep. he gives you, too. So when, the first time he gave me one, I, was, I thought I was pretty impressed with it because he put a lot of work into it, right. into his brand. Yeah. You know? Shout out to Tom Reed, one of our locals. 513. Um, just kind of going back to the, the self-critique point, you know, I... The point I want to make there is that you, it helps you be able to listen to your own work when you're a little more, I guess, emotionally separated from it. And what I mean by that is like, other than you being your headspace, you know, being in the mix while you're doing it right then and taking all the things into consideration that you do when you are DJing, when you're mixing, just being able to kind of in the same way that we music shop when you, you know, add stuff to cart, wait a few days, come back to it. Consuming it it rather than... Consuming right. it like you would somebody else's mix rather right. than... Um, you need that cooling than, off period. Yeah, rather than babying it as your mix. Yeah, and it gives you a chance to hear what the audience would be experiencing, you know, when without that extremely close perspective, you know, to right. it. Right. Um, and helps you evaluate your transitions and any new techniques that you tried or any risks that you took. You can see how it sounded <laughs> later, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Um you know, the other reason is for purposes of just sharing it. Um, it it does give you a chance to show off your, your DJ prowess or whatever, even though a lot of people don't listen to them now. Um, there are the occasions that they do. And if somebody is listening, you definitely want to nail it, right? So sure. even if, you know, one the one right person hearing your mix is all that really matters, you know, so not necessarily the amount of plays that it gets. Well, there are a lot of people out there, too, that understand what, DJing is about now the the mixing part yeah. of DJing you know as we're, before it was just it wasn't as uh noticeable I guess yeah to the typical person and then plus I mean it it gives it shows people that you're still kind of in the game that you're an active DJ if they see that you're creating things all the time as it relates to DJing sure um which kind of leads into the next point which is it helps you build sort of an online presence it uh, gives you, or in other words, it's brand building. Right. So if you, even if Tony, you know, maybe he receives a hundred mixes a day and you can't listen to them all. If he does get to a point where he sees somebody that catches his attention, then he's probably going to go check out their Facebook page, check out their SoundCloud bro, check out all that <laughs> kind of stuff. And if he lands on their homepage and he sees that there's a series of well-crafted, well-thought-out mixes and they all have nice little artwork and all that stuff and somebody's put that time and attention into it, it's probably going to have a different impact on you than just somebody sending you a, a link with no context behind it. 100%. Right, right. So let's move on to the how. How do you record a mix? So there's there's kind of two approaches, right? You can record externally, record internally. So externally would be like recording the output of a mixer or controller or whatever it is. So the best way to do that is to use record out or session out if your mixer has that because that's like a steady volume line level output oh. that's not going to change depending on any of the knobs that are on the top of the mixer. <laughs> right. <laughs> that way right. it's always okay. consistent. That's actually a good way to put it. Yeah. You know. That way you don't, uh, you know, you can record if, you, if you're if you using a mixing device that for some reason doesn't have 
something like that. You can record the master out, but you got to make sure that you set it once and don't touch it. Yeah, everything's level. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And that, that can be dangerous. And that really becomes a problem if you're recording a live set, like at a show, where you don't have a choice but to make those adjustments. Exactly. And for me, like, if for those mixers that don't have that record out, what I, what I used to do was use the booth as my record. Yeah. Because if you're recording at home, unless you have some dedicated monitors or a dedicated system for the booth versus the master, then at least that way you can keep your master set however you always did and always yeah, do. Absolutely. But then it. don't touch the booth, and then yep. that kind of – fills that gap Same of concept. a record out yeah yeah, yeah. But. And another thing you can do when you're recording externally like that in some cases is that you can take say the record out output from that mixer and route it back into the same mixing device into a channel and record that right sometimes you can set that up as well that sometimes adds a little few extra warnings that you need to be care you know careful of are you actually recording the thing that you think you're recording for example <laughs> um, but that was i used to do this 75 one. minutes of what <laughs> <laughs> would be awesome if you had a mic in and you're like being your own hype man in the middle of all that <laughs> yo, yo we're at a seven we got to get it up to a ten <laughs> <laughs> um of course the other option is to record internally and this is the easiest way to do it if you have the option sure. which is to use whatever software you're using or even hardware sometimes we'll do it yeah. uh, some hardware will record straight to usb um, tractor or whatever you're using will just record whatever the output of that software is. So if you're mixing internally, you can record all that straight to disc and you don't really have to do a whole lot. Yeah, I, 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 I'm a recent convert. Uh, I'd say within the last uh, three years, I think. Um, because, you know, I come from old school, of course, where, you know, everything that we did, you know, before laptops, I mean, so the only option was to record externally, Externally. Mm -hmm. you know, whether that be to, you know, some kind of outboard CD recorder or, you know, to some other computer and and an interface and all of that stuff. Um, and then massage everything and sound forge after the fact and then burn Mm. that to CD and then duplicate. Right. Yeah. Um, so that, I mean, you know, I had a process, you know, for years that was some derivative of that, you know, of course, technology, you know, I modernized technology as those things got better. Um, and instead of burning CDs, well then, you know, ultimately you go to SoundCloud or whatever and, and distribute that way. But, um, I think it was three years ago. Um, and somebody said, why are you still doing that? <laughs> you what know, are you doing? You have a laptop there that you're playing on. Why are you recording Just hit the red button? Yeah. Why are you recording <laughs> out to the PC over here with the interface and all that? He was all like, because that's just what hit, you do. Yeah. Right? That's what you do. <laughs> no, no, just hit the record button. No, no, it can't be that <laughs> no, easy. It can't be that easy. And sure. I remember when I first found out that well, tractor had a record function. I was like, where right there? That looks like a cassette. Tape. Yeah. It's <laughs> hiding behind the effects <laughs> panel. I was like, it's oh, very sneaky. Yeah. Shit. Hell yeah. <laughs> cool. uh, so yeah, I mean, just hit, hit that record button and, and sure as I'll get out. And, and you can go in. I use Serato for it, but you can go in there and you can tell it, you know, your bit depth and, hmm. you know, sample your rate level, and, all, yeah. Yeah, and all that stuff. And file size. Uh, that's another yeah, thing to be sure cognizant of. You know, file type, AI, you know, AIF or wave or whatever. And uh, sure as I'll get out. Just, I mean, it doesn't get any easier than that. So I was all like, Okay. Yeah. Now that that does limit your options in some ways. Like if you're 
you know, maybe you can answer this as a Serato user. I know in Tractor, let's say if you're mixing, let's take the example of a Control S4, which is a straight up controller, but does have audio inputs for turntables and whatever. Okay. So if you have Tractor set on one of your decks as, a, as what's called live input as mm-hmm. one of the settings, okay. then it will it will play an analog source or whatever your input source is through the software as well. So okay. you can actually mix in tractor and mix records and whatever you want, and it'll all play through the software. You can use the tractor effects on it and mm-hmm. all that kind of fun stuff. Sure. Uh, which means you can also record it if you're doing it that way. It's not a straight through. It's actually going through the software, so it will grab that if you're recording externally. Using yeah. tractor scratch, though. You can't use the regular tractor. Yeah, you can use regular tractor. With the, the tractor scratch thing? only affects whether or not you have time code control. Well, okay. So as lo- you can still get the input as long as your hardware supports it. Um, so I, I don't know if Serato does Serato, that or not. Serato has, has the ability to bring in audio source, or okay. at least Serato DJ. I don't know if, if Scratch Live uh, ever did or not, but um, but as far as whether or not it records it, uh, I don't know. I, I've, I've not yet made a mix mixing vinyl with digital stuff. So mm. uh, everything I've done is either time-coded and or... Uh, through um, to the SE or yeah, yeah, something through, like that through the SE. So. Okay, but uh, yeah, that'd be an interesting thing to check out for sure. Okay. Yeah. Now, if I'm just trying to, if I'm newish and I'm just trying to make a mix and record it, is one way better or easier than the other? I mean, easy. one way of recording. I mean, the internal versus external. I mean, hitting, I, sure. yeah, I was going to say internal, just hitting record. I mean, and then it creates the wave file. It puts it where you tell it to. I mean, it doesn't get much simpler than that. But you know. Um, doing it the external way, you know. But, Are there any advantages to external? Not well, it, it just gives you all the options in the world. I mean, you can you can record any set of sources on any set of hardware, and it doesn't matter as long as you've got an output. Right. So, like, if um, you've got an but entire, general, like, not. hardware studio at your disposal and you want to go out from... You Another know, the, from from your mixer into, say, an equalizer that's then daisy chained into a compressor. And then that compressor goes to a brick wall limiter. And then, you know what? And then maybe you've got some kind of like outboard effects that like, you know, handle some extra spatial stuff, mm-hmm. yeah. you know. But I mean, I, I mean, or if you're recording multiple DJs in one night, like right. a live show that yep. you are using different sources for that recording. But for I would say for the vast majority of the bedroom DJs or even, you know, your, uh, your local playing out or even regional, you know, unless somebody's just got that kind of gear and studio at their disposal, I would just say, just record it onto your laptop and and call it a day. Because even then, if you want to do post-production, then you just take your wave or AIS file and uh, import it into your DAW of choice and then add your effects that way mm. so yeah um so kind of the the pre-recording setup um especially when you're talking external because you you want to check all your levels and all sure. that fun stuff yeah. so um you know the first thing that i would recommend is take whatever hardware or software so i guess we we didn't really address that if you're taking your your record out from your mixer and you're recording on something else that's either going to be a laptop with an audio interface that you're right. plugging into, right. or it could be its own piece of hardware. It could be an, an audio recorder that's specifically yep. for that purpose. Yep. Um, but whatever it is, you know, you want to take a look at that. Let's just say it's a laptop with Audacity or something. You want to check your levels. You want to check every uh, 
every hop in the signal chain and make sure there's no red, right? right? Mm. So no red on your controller, no red on your software, no red on your whatever you're recording with. And and even to that to that like what I would highly suggest is any any time that you're you're doing any kind of recording whether it's analog to some kind of uh, hardware or even if it's straight digital if you can control it you want your master out to be anywhere between negative uh, to be 3 to 6 decibels under digital zero. And then from there, the reason why is that that offers headroom. Yes, it's quieter when you when you're first done. But if you hand that thing off to somebody else, or if you're going to master it yourself, then that gives you plenty of headroom to play with things like compression and mm-hmm. limiting, and 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 really kind of tweak things without having to um, deal with clipping and and distortion and stuff like that yeah and if you if you get a little silly with the effects and suddenly you have a spike and you had been recording as loud as you thought you could and you have a little spike well then that's going to clip and it's just done you can't do anything about that whereas if everything's just a couple db under you can always boost the whole thing just a touch and you're you're good to go right right exactly um and i mean that's a whole other i mean we could we could totally nerd out on on another uh, uh, episode about mastering yeah. and, 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 and post-production on a mix all, all in itself. But, uh, as a general rule of thumb, I would say between three and six DB under zero yeah. is a good place to, to have your master out. And I know for, <clears throat> at least for tractor and actually a lot of hardware mixers, you know, if you dig into the settings, you can find it too, where it has built in headroom that's adjustable. Right. So in tractor, you can say, I want three or six DB of headroom. Awesome. And even if it looks like you're maxing it out, it's actually artificially yeah. it's, bringing it down so that you've got some room that you're, yeah. you're capping out. Right? Um, the one thing I recommend is to start recording. You know, if you're recording into Audacity or Ableton or something like that, start recording a test. Right. See what your waveform looks like. If it yep. looks like a brick wall, stop and start <laughs> over. Okay. If it looks like a, a flat line, stop and start over. Real kicks have curves. Yeah. <laughs> it should look like a skyline. Yeah. You want none of your peaks hitting max volume. That's right. So as yeah. long as everything looks, you know, if there's if you can see peaks and valleys and it's not like flat line or a brick wall, then you're probably good. You're close enough. Um, Legos are for children. Yes. <laughs> and then just make sure it you know, sounds right. You know, right. Give it a quick listen and stuff. Right. Right. Um, any other tips from our audio engineer on that one? No, not, not right now. Like I said, I think we could totally nerd out on a whole mastering episode. Um, but, I mean, the... The, the biggest thing there is headroom. Uh, even if you're not going to go, you know, balls out and add a bunch of effects or, or uh, post-prod, you know, as far as like adding spatial uh, effects and, um, and things like that, then it really, most post-prod for a mix yeah. really comprises mostly of compression and limiting. And that's to normalize, you know, your, your peaks and to keep from clipping yeah um you know get things up and loud and 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 sounding like a polished uh product at the end um you can always make the whole thing louder but as as soon as you've squashed it you've squashed it exactly that's that's the key to all of that if you don't have any headroom you there's not really anything you can do garbage in garbage out yeah so how about conceptualizing the mix you know like not from the technical perspective but 
Like just coming up with, you know, what is this? Bangers all day, <laughs> every day, oh, man. You know, start to finish. Um, I've got, uh, there's, a, there's a couple of people who, um, who, uh, who know this about me and, and all of the mixes that I've ever put out. Uh, and there's always some overarching theme or they've all centered around like some major uh, um, event in my life. Mm. Um Unfortunately, the last mix I put out was like 2010. <laughs> like, <laughs> overdue, man. Oh, right. Yeah, I'm way overdue. Way we'll come overdue. back to that. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but like every single thing, like, you know, whether it was like a major move or a breakup or, or, you know, some kind of turmoil. I'm or, all out of love. <laughs> I'm so lost without you. <laughs> <laughs> half tempted to let you keep going <laughs> i'm not i'll stop you <laughs> but uh yeah so like the the big thing there um you know i just for me i i i i find so much value in a well thought out mix with a theme you yeah, know and i'm too. not saying that like i can't just listen to something for the fun of it but if i know that there's some like easter egg out in in yeah. all of that to try to like put some kind of puzzle piece together or even for me as an artist that's part of like my my shtick is like i'll pick out all of these tracks that either have like some kind of glue you know some kind of a binding thing that puts them all together or there's like this event in my life that, okay, all of these tracks have something to do with that. And, you know, putting it all together is like some kind of a coherent thought and, and have a progression to it. You know, honestly, it's kind of cathartic. Like it, 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 it mm -hmm. in the, in the, in the way that, you know, it's helping me process, you know, whatever it is yeah. that I'm going through, you know? So well, that um, context really matters. You know, we talk about right. that a lot. And right. when you have a backstory or, purpose to that mix that doesn't hurt because right. even just having that in your head your imagination does different things when you're listening than it would if you just heard <laughs> right. it cold you know right right um so you know some questions that i ask when i'm trying to conceptualize a mix you know what's the purpose of this mix who's going to hear it right um and you know what are you trying to demonstrate with this mix if anything right um as far as choosing the track list you know which songs are appropriate to that concept which, uh, you know, what order of tracks makes sense? You know, what's what's going to transfer that energy properly the way that you want, you know, and make that progression go the way that you want or tell whatever story you're trying to tell. Yeah. Um, and then, obviously, you know, the tough part for me, and Tony and I had a conversation about this, I think, yesterday, choosing a title. And <laughs> yeah. Now, sometimes that comes after the fact. You know, sometimes you go in and you know what the title is and the concept, and then you mix it. Sometimes you mix something and then you come back for that. I always cheated. I always cheated with that. Um, I think there was, I think there was one mix that I actually like. Or no, I take that back. There were two mixes. There were two mixes of mine that I actually named. Every other one were all just. I picked out one of the tracks that just happened to mm. be like like the peak moment or something. Yeah, 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 like or or like kind of like sets the stage for the overarching theme or idea, and just let that roll with it. That really works too if it's <laughs> if it's like the only vocal track in a mix or something like that. Right, then it's like well, oh, then it's very obviously the peak in the name of the set. Yeah, for me, like my my one of my most popular mixes even to this day. 
uh, was 17 years ago, um, and it was You Won't See Me Cry. Now, that is actually a Marcus Schultz track, right? Like, we're talking big, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, like, epic trance stuff, right? And that was, like, that was what I named my mix because that was the song that the whole thing was, like, supposed to revolve around. But that was also around the same time as uh, Delirium and Sarah McLachlan did Silence. Silence. (laughs) And Tiesto had the In Search of Sunrise remix, right? So that track is also on this mix. So, like, this whole thing, like, you know, is this, like, I start out kind of, like, trippy, and then I go deep, and then as I pull out of the deep stuff and then just hit balls out, you know, all epic trance for the rest of of the mix, and then, like, you know, like, for whatever reason, that's the one that, like, everybody still, 17 years later, I still get people asking for that, and I'm like, it's on Mixcloud. <laughs> but um, but yeah, that's that's the thing that everybody was always like, you know, well, why did you name it? You won't see me cry when you've got the delirium track on right. there. You got silence <laughs> on there. And I'm all like, because silence was was the big track at the time. So, yeah, everybody loves it. But that wasn't the main idea of the mix. Like, yeah. you know, that's not what it was about. So, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I'll. <sighs> If I don't already have a concept or a name in mind, which is most of the time, um, well, usually I have a concept but not a title. So sometimes I'll just I'll go back and listen to it a handful of times and kind of let the music tell me what the title is, sure. or at least I try to. Right. Um, sometimes I just try to match the title to whatever that concept is. So, for example, you know, old school listeners of podcast will remember my zombie hotel and yeah, zombie hospital zombie, yeah, yeah. projects. Yeah, yeah. You know, those were the name Those was the concept yeah. of the mix. Yeah. Sure. Um, sometimes I'll th- try to think of what's happening in my life, you know, and just try to think of how this music relates or speaks to whatever's happening in my everyday life or, you know, in general. Uh, and sometimes I literally bust out a thesaurus and try to get ideas. <laughs> I was just going to say, <laughs> now I've, I haven't done this for mixes. I've done this for tracks. So I've got a question. When was the last time you guys recorded a mix and shared it? Like recorded a mix for the purpose of sharing it publicly? 2010. Last mix I made was 2005, but I didn't share it publicly. Um, Publicly, 98. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. Like a year ago for me, maybe? A year ago? Yeah. All right, so Mo's a little more on top of it than the rest of us. I've got, I'm working on four years, work, working on five years for me. I think 2013 was the last one that I shared. So why? Why do we not <coughs> record mixes? Why do we hesitate? For me, I feel like it's, it, it feels like, and this is just strictly for me, I, I feel like I'm just adding to noise. Because mm. there's so much out there that, like, what I want people to know about me as a DJ is that, you know, what I bring to a show is not just a crate of tracks. I bring energy. I, I bring a personality. I bring some charisma to it. And I'm not saying that I'm the, you know, you know, the most charismatic, energetic, and, and, and whatever, like, but I do feed off of... Uh, crowd participation and, yeah. and 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 that reciprocation between me and a crowd and when that happens and that synergy is there then you know 
it works for me, it works for them, and that type of stuff leads to more gigs, you know, because the people who are there see this type of, you know, interaction, and the more that I feed off of that, the better I play, the more, the, the better I play, then the more people respond to it, and then you've got a party, right? You don't get all those, par- you, you know, all those parts and pieces when you're doing when a mix. Right, exactly. It, and and I can put out, you know, the most polished mix ever, but so can anybody else. And you can load up your SoundCloud with 50 of the most polished, awesome mixes, but, you know, just, but as soon as you start pushing that out there, you know, you, you I don't know. It's, it's just that whole, like, nobody... It, Nobody listens to it, you know, yeah. or the uh, except for the diehard people who love to listen to mixes. So to me, the only thing that it really does is, it, you know, you're you're just doing it be, to have the obligatory product out there to give to some promoter or to s- some agent or to anybody who says, hey, you got a mix. You're a DJ, right? Like it's like asking a baker, you know, you got a cake. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it's obligatory. You yeah. Know? But and you know so without that that same kind of interaction that same synergy you know like i said i just i it's not that i don't enjoy putting together a mix but i put a lot of effort into my mixes and for me to put cost that much, benefit right for me to put that much effort into something that you know not a lot of people react to i would much rather be in front of you know a a, a crowd of 50 or 500 or 5,000 mm-hmm. people and and get that you know by the way before we, i'm sure we all have a lot to say on this subject sure. but i want to i think this is a good time to interject that we're going to be talking about the subject and we're not we might not necessarily have answers to this right like right. we're talking about what our struggles are yeah. you know we have the same struggles that all you guys listening do mm-hmm. and so um you know we kind of started out with a lot of tips and tricks kind of stuff um, we might not have all the answers to all these problems. And so, um, you know, if you guys have some perspective on this, please, by all means, send us voicemail, send us emails, tweet at us, and let us Absolutely. know what your thoughts are on this. I know for me, one thing that I sometimes will make me hesitate as far as recording a mix is, you know, not being able to to land that concept. So um, I might say stuff like, this mix doesn't convey the feeling that I wanted it to. Or, it just doesn't feel right when you're done. Yeah, this isn't a good demonstration of my skills, right. or this doesn't capture the feeling of my title, or whatever it is. Sure. So if I, it, that's a lot of ways to just say it's not good enough. It's just it's not good enough. Right. Which leads into the other problem of perfectionism. Right. We're our, we're all our our own worst critics. Oh, ain't no doubt about that. Like I can remember there was. There was a time right right before digital became the thing, you know, or even CDJs were, you know, where before that that massive like shift over, and I'm sure you'll remember this when uh, Tony, um, when uh, all of the big name DJs when they put out their promos, all of them said t- mixed in one take at such and such studios using 
three Technique 1200s and a Pioneer 600, you know, whatever. Like, they listed all the gear, and they made it a point to say this was mixed. This is raw. Yeah, this Mm -hmm. was mixed in one take, post-prod done by such-and-such, blah, blah, blah. And it was all on the CD liners. Well, and that puts added pressure on those of us, you know, down here, you know, (laughs) you know, way down on the other side of of the ladder, right, on the lower rungs. Because here we are, okay, well, that's the standard. So now that's what we have to do. And when you get out there and you're doing, you know, two, three decks and you and you mess up, shit. You know, scrap the file, mm-hmm. turn around, start all you over know, again. start all over again. And it's, you know, and it's just it was that repetition of over and over and yeah. over and over. You know, whereas now that's not, you know, as big of a thing because you know, you can cut, splice, and do all kinds of stuff, and everything's you know beat match to you know the yeah. Nat's ass, and <laughs> <laughs> it just you know it, it. Which is a standard unit of measurement. <laughs> <laughs> the Nat's ass. Yeah, the Nat's ass out here in Ohio in the yeah. in the cornfields and stuff. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh, it's it it it's it's kind of different, you know, nowadays when it when it comes to all that. But no, I I'm I'm with you on that. So I guess the question to ask you guys and everybody out there is: It okay to release something that's not completely polished? Mm. Absolutely. I think I think it depends on on, yeah. on what you're what you're going for. Like, yeah, I I think because I've got a couple of live mixes that you know I'm kind of proud of that I really like and. I don't I don't burn CDs very often, but when I do, like if I'm if I'm going to go and put out a mix, mm-hmm. I very rarely burn a studio. You know, I'm using that in air quotes. A studio mix that I've put together. I usually go grab one of the live mixes that I like of myself, even though it's from like 2007. You know, um, but it was it was it was a great set. It was a great club. It was a great atmosphere. It was a great night. And, uh, and I just, I really dug that set. So I, I there's, well, there's one in particular that I'm thinking of right, right off the top of my head, uh, shout out to Paul Wayhoff and, um, the next era guys when they were doing stuff at the Mad Hatter, that was a really cool, uh, night that I, that, that they recorded. Um, but that's the one that I burned the most because I, I went chunky. Yeah, deep you have a connection to that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, so, uh, when you're doing that for the sake of doing that and saying here is, you know, a mix of me playing live, you know, and you say live at Mad Hatter or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, then I think there's an inherent expectation of something raw. So you're Mm going to hear some, you know, wavering in between, you know, the beat matching and, you know, you're going to hear some mistakes. You're going to hear some of that stuff because none of us are perfect live, right? Not in a, not most of us anyway. Um, so I think in that, in that instance, you know, it's okay to be raw and to, and to have that. Um, but you know, the, the whole expectation that, um, everything else comes out studio polished kind of comes back to what Tony's talked about several times in the past where it's, it's your brand building, it's your marketing, you know, and all that, you know, if chain smokers puts out, you know, something that's raw, hasn't been mixed down, mastered, you know, whatever. And it's just kind of like, here, here you go, you know, just to throw something out there. Mm -hmm. And they start doing that on some regular basis, then it just looks sloppy, right? Mm -hmm. And then that, you know, if this is, if, 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 if the standard is 
everything has to be polished and perfect and and that's that's what everybody should be aspiring to then um you know i, I if if that's the goal that you're trying to get to then yeah i think i would say if you if your approach to djing is is that of an artist you know if we're doing this to to create something artsy or something that that we like to listen to um being that we're our own worst critics it's never going to be good enough if okay. we take that approach sure. so i think that you should put out things that are imperfect because otherwise nothing will get put out period sure Agreed. so um just to kind of give an example but isn't it before you do mm-hmm. isn't perfect and imperfect isn't that going to be a subjective thing then because oh, absolutely because i can listen to something and think wow that's freaking perfect but whoever put that out is going to be like oh no you don't hear this and you don't hear that and you don't hear this so it goes back to that being your own worst critic thing like sometimes you have to let go of some things or get other people to listen to it that will give you honest critique and feedback to say here's some spots where i heard some things that you could clean up and if the things that you are focusing in on and honing in on aren't in that list of things that other people are hearing well then let it go yeah right yeah, and and if you're if you're having trouble finding those people to give you that feedback, you know who are the other DJs that you know. Most of us, not all of us, but most of us are DJs who know other DJs, sure. and so you can you can kind of trade, right? In that trade respect, critiques, yeah. you know. Yep. Um, so to, to give kind of an example of two different approaches, so uh, you know I like being pretty transparent with our audience and how passionate DJ works. So let's just use that as an example. Sure. Uh, this show is not perfect. This show has a lot of mistakes in it. This show has a lot of no. a lot of edits that need made. No. A lot of Thank dates God that it, for our engineer, man. <laughs> dates that have been missed. You know that sure. kind of stuff. Right. Um, but we have a solid concept. We know what the show's about. We know what our approach is, and we're happy with our product, as imperfect as it is. And so we publish on a consistent basis, and we are building a following. Now take that to David Michael, the DJ who hasn't put out a mix since. 2013 because it's never going to be good enough it's not perfect uh well guess how many followers i have for myself as a dj not nearly as many nobody's paying attention because i'm not doing anything over there um i'm i'm neglecting myself into oblivion (laughs) when it comes to that right whereas the show is doing well and growing and kind of taking off right? right so that's just kind of a way to, to kind of see the two approaches and how, how that affects you. If you put nothing out, nothing will happen for sure. Yeah, full disclosure. I mean, it's kind of the same thing with me and, and, and my SoundCloud, you know, for example. Like I've got, you know, a handful of followers. I've got some original pieces up there and, and, uh, and, and whatnot. Um, but I get my dopamine rush on the followers by logging into the passionate DJ account, you know, and I look and see how many plays we get and all of that. And I'm yeah. all like, yeah, we're awesome. <laughs> I go back to my, to my personal SoundCloud. I'm like, Oh, <laughs> what about the uh, fear of rejection? You, oh yeah. You have that. I mean like, you know, what if people don't like it or what if this hurts my personal brand? What if nobody listens? What if other DJs judge it harshly? Honestly, I don't know if it's just a, a an indication of of age or experience or whatever, but that matters so much less to me now. Like yeah. especially now that like Is that a confidence thing or are you just an, an apathy thing? It's a maturity <laughs> thing. I, 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 
if I'm going to be honest, I think it's a little bit of both. Okay. But if I had to put a little bit more weight, it would probably be more apathy. And and it's because everybody's got an opinion. I've got opinions about Regardless stuff, too. Regardless of how good you are, somebody's going to troll you. Exactly. <laughs> they're going to do it. Even if it's amazing and they think it's amazing, they're going to say they're that gonna it's not just yeah. to fuck with you. Right, right. And, and get a kick out of absolutely of, of doing that so you know and if and if you stop doing everything that you want to do in life because of what somebody else That's is going to think thing. then you don't do anything right so you know and it and it did it took me a long time to get to that point you know where i i stopped caring as much about what critical people think because to tony's point there's always going to be critical people so you know take take the the positive and and use that as some fuel look and but when i when i do look at people who are critical of things that i do or 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 whatever i look for the constructively critical people like here's here's why i don't like your thing and here's here's what i think you could do to make it better those are valuable people who the people who can say i don't like this or here's where i think you could have done something better and then you can take that. That's that's something of value. And you can look at it at face value and say, yeah, I could have done that, but I chose not to. Or I didn't think about that. Maybe I can incorporate that next time or I can redo it or, you know, whatever you want to. But either way, that's something constructive you can just take and do something with. The people who say, <laughs> oh, you stuck, you know, whatever, th- th- those people are useless, you know. And I just, I, I don't have time for that in my life. So I guess kind of after thinking about that, looking back at the couple of mixes I have released, no one's ever said that it sucked. You know, I didn't get 3,000 listens, which, okay, yeah. who does? But I guess kind of listening to you guys talk right now, it's kind of maybe taking some weight off my shoulders about putting mixes out there. So mm. I think I just need to get off my ass now because, <laughs> I mean, if someone says I suck, well, okay it doesn't affect my bottom line i'm still going to go to sleep the sun's still going to come up so and i think maybe that's one of those things we're all just sort of scared you know because it does take courage to do this stuff there's more people not doing it than people that are right i I think that's fair to say well i think we we get so obsessed with thinking of recording mixes as being demos or or promos and you know, you can make mixes for all kinds of reasons. You can oh, make yeah. mixes just because you want to listen to it. You can make mixes because you're trying to create a piece of art and you're going to, you know, you might spend 60 hours in the studio creating something cool that's kind of like an album, you know. It's it's not always, hey, hey look at my DJ skill. Right. Book me for a show, you right. know. There, you can record for whatever reason yeah, you want to. Honestly, if my nothing fl- else, you could always turn around and just, you know, after you've, you know, made a, a bulk purchase or your weekly purchase of tracks, you know, just, just take those 10, 12, 15 tracks, 20 tracks, whatever, just take a handful of them, throw them in a crate, mix them together, hit record. And then now you've got something to listen to in the car for the next week or two, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, it doesn't, and like, not everything, to your point, not everything has to be, you know, some super polished, it's got to be ready for prime time, you know, and, and, and distribution. Like, sometimes just going through the, the act of making a mix for the sake of making a mix is good practice for 
recording a mix and or playing live. Yeah, know? and it's a record button. It's not a publish button or a live stream. <laughs> so right, right. You, you can record all day long and nobody else will ever hear it. So it's just record it. Because the right. first, Why wouldn't you? The first mix I published was honestly, I that's when I figured out I could record. So I recorded it. Yeah. And then my cousin had just started using the Mixcloud and I had never heard of it. Mm-hmm. And I uploaded it. And I was like, oh, cool. This works. And I just sort of forgot about it. <laughs> and I forgot it was out there. And then like a couple of my friends found it like, hey, you published a mix. And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess I did. And then I was like, and they were like, you're going to do another one? I was like, nah, shit, I'll do another one. And I did it. And then I just sort of forgot about that, too. So, right. but I guess, not seriously, talking to you guys right now kind of is like relieve some anxiety. So I just need to get off my ass. Well, I'm interested to know what everybody else out there, how they feel about mixes. And, and honestly, why don't they publish mixes? Because I'm sure there's a lot of Definitely. folks out there that have like four or five mixes on their hard drive and have yet to upload them or publish them or share them with anybody. Yeah, you tell know, us is, why. Is it fear? Is it fear of rejection? Fear of success? You know, Man. whatever. You know, let us know. I'd be, you know, we're, we're four people that are DJs. We'd like to know what the rest of you think. You know what else I would like to know is anybody who's out there that is actually putting out mixes on a consistent basis and not getting the the no play syndrome like right like Mm. anybody who's out there who's doing it right who's doing it right and can you know offer up some advice to us because if i had a way of overcoming that whole apathetic well nobody listens to this shit anyway like Hmm. you know kind of syndrome then you know if i if i had some more clear steps or paths or or techniques that i could use as far as marketing my stuff uh, I would love to figure out a way to employ that because then that would be uh, motivation for me to actually put out another mix. Well, I know, so. <laughs> I know. On my mix cloud, I got one cat. Like once a week, he's releasing something. I, I don't have yeah. the energy for that. Yeah, I, I don't know that I would ever have the energy for for once a week. But I could probably put together, uh, muster up enough time to put something together. You know, once a month or once every couple of months. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and I think if you have that's another thing you can kind of have an overarching concept or series or something and that kind of gives some purpose to doing that you know if especially if you have like an online radio show or something like that and it's kind of centered around a concept then you already kind of know where you're aiming with that keep on spinning keep hitting record this has been the passionate dj podcast thanks for listening to the passionate dj podcast at www.passionatedj.com Check out the fan page at facebook.com slash passionate DJ or on Twitter at DJ with passion. And always remember to keep on spinning. You can also use the jug, the, the jugs. You can also use the jog wheel. <laughs> the jog you wheel and sound, bitch. the jog wheel and nudge it forward is what I was trying to say. Balls. <laughs>